0: Revelation is over after this. Well, I mean, it's still in your Bible, and you can still read it, and there's a lot that we haven't covered, but this is the end of this series of Revelation, and I'm curious, how many of you have been with us through every single one of the lessons? Raise your hand. There's going to be a lot of raising our hands today, so just warm that up. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's been a wild, wild ride. For some of us, it's been hell, hasn't it? And I don't mean that in a derogatory way either. I mean, we're talking about an intense book. That talks about intense things that are coming in our future, right? We we had one sermon about four horsemen that are going to completely devastate the earth. We talked about, Tracy talked about a red dragon that's going to come to seek to destroy and kill everything. A couple weeks ago, we talked about two beasts, one out of the sea and one out of the land, the beast of corruption and compromise. And what's left is this scene of dismal and dreary scene when the world gets what the world wants. It's hell. It's what happens when separation from God is able to run rampant in the world. But here's the thing. I got really, really good news for you. And that is, and I hope you're excited today, we're talking about heaven. Amen? Let me try that again. Today, we're talking about heaven. Amen. Right? We should be excited anytime we get to talk because guess what? That's how the book of Revelation ends. That's how the Bible ends. It ends with this vision of what our eternal future is going to be. Now, chapters 21 and 22 are chock full of symbolism, just like any other book or any other chapter in the book of Revelation, but. We're going to do our best to wade our way through this. So, the angel is giving John, this believer and follower of Jesus, this wild vision of what the future holds. And in this vision, in this last chapter, we have this stunning image of a bride, symbolizing the new creation, this new thing to come. And this bride is married to God in his covenant people. It's this bringing together of these two realities. And the cool thing is, is that John lays out that God is going to walk and be with humanity, with his creation for eternity, forever, locked in together. But we're not there yet. Because if we know anything about the reality that we live is that these two worlds have not yet interlocked, is that we live very separate world from what is to come, right? They're they're different. They're not yet there. Crime, inequality, rampant greed, selfishness. If we use biblical language, in fact, one of our songs sang about it, it's as if a creation is groaning like a woman in childbirth. But here's the wild thing, and we're gonna dive into this deeper. While it's not yet here, It's growing. Something is happening under the surface. We can't quite see. We catch glimpses of it, but it's not quite here. It's kind of like talking about childbirth when a child is growing inside of a woman's body. I remember when Darian was pregnant with our two boys, every once in a while, it freaked me out, but like a kick or an arm might just like protrude from her stomach. And creation is the same way. We can see signs of it, but its full life hasn't yet entered the scene. Today, we're going to talk about heaven. Now, I understand there are some people, likely even in this room, they're like, great. Another preacher gonna talk about heaven. I don't want to talk about heaven because if I talk about heaven, I have to talk about death. And many of us, some of us much more than others are a lot closer to that than we want to admit. We don't wanna talk about death. We wanna talk about life. We wanna talk about this life that we have. We're scared of what's to come. Even if we have faith, we don't wanna talk about it. Why can't I just live for the life I have here right now and not worry about what's coming and I'll tell you why, and I want you to write this down because it is the baseline of everything we're going to talk about today, and that is what you believe about eternity determines how you live today. What you believe about forever impacts how you live your life now. In other words, if you believe your life is an accident, that there is no purpose in your life. There is no reason for you to be here. When you die, you'll go back into the ground and there's nothing left after that. I'm right there with you. Why not live for today? I would. If there's no other purpose in life, if there's no other life after this one, if you just go into the ground and it's done, go at it. Live the life that you're going to live and live it to its fullest. But here's the thing. If you believe, God created you for the glory of God, then it matters how you live your life on earth today. It dramatically alters the way you live your life. Today, we're going to talk about heaven. But here's the thing. As I talk about heaven, I realize the inadequacy I'm going to have. You can't, you can't fully capture what it's going to be. No, no word I say is going to get there. So I'm going to give you permission. Here's my permission. This is the one time you'll get to do this. Okay. So really lock it in. You have my full permission after the sermon to come up to me and say, Peyton, you missed the mark. You didn't quite get there. I was expecting it here, you came in right about here, you didn't get it quite there. And I'm going to fully agree with you, because Paul has already predestined that for me. He said, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Yeah, now try preaching a sermon on heaven. (laughs) You'll see where I'm at. How do you talk about this? So how about we start off by just going to God's word, allowing God in his word through, the, through John to tell us, to give us the imagery that we need today to conceptualize what's going to come then. We're going to use our teenagers to be the voice for us as we read through John. Let's watch this video. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for, for the healing of the nation. No longer will there be any uh, accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For God will be their light, and they will reign forever forever and ever. 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 All right, let's give it up for our teenagers. Yeah, I I struggled with how do you approach a sermon about heaven? How do you approach a sermon on Revelation and then you come to the end and you're just like, I I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be. I have these images I don't know what to do with. And here we are. So we're going to do our best. And I'm going to give you my strategy right here just going to give it to you. I thought, okay, if I know I'm not going to do a good job explaining what heaven is, what if instead I talk about what heaven is not? Because I think there are a lot of misconceptions about what we think heaven is, either adopted through tradition, through family, through culture, through our own reading. And what if I broke those down? Maybe, just maybe, some truth about heaven would come out. Because, you know, we all have those misconceptions. We think heaven, you know, I'm going to die and I'll go and wherever it is, there's going to be fat, bald, naked baby angels floating around on clouds, and I'm going to be singing for ten thousand years. And we're going to sing verses one, two, and four because we never sing verse three. We we'll just skip verse three for all eternity. We'll skip verse three and <laughs> we'll just sing one, two, and four. And that's what heaven, and that's what heaven's going to be. A lot of people. Have misconceptions. They don't understand what heaven is going to be like. So I want to show you those three lies and hope that truth, with the help of Revelation 21 and 22, will give us insight into what we're waiting for. Let's talk about this first lie. Lie number one heaven, whoa, nope, where'd it go? There we go. Heaven will be boring. Have you heard that lie before? Do you believe? That lie. Why do so many people believe that heaven is going to be a boring place? Well, I I thought about this for a while and I finally came to the conclusion people believe that because the devil is a liar. He's a liar. Satan, the father of lies, the prince of darkness, he lies to try to deceive us. He comes to steal and to kill and to destroy everything that matters to the heart of God. And so if I were the devil, yeah, I would probably take this tactic too. I would either try, one, to do what most of the world believes, that hell is not a real place. Okay, okay. So you're not worried about hell. And then two, I'm going to make heaven look like a boring, dull place that you don't really need to worry about. Because if you can live your best version of life in eternity here, you won't worry about what's going to happen there. You're just going to live for right now. It's a great tactic. And he's very, very good at convincing us that heaven is a dull place. Here's what I believed. Before I was a believer, and even whenever I was first a believer, and I started getting into my own faith, here's what I believed about heaven, and maybe it's similar to yours. I believed I would go into the ground, I'd wake up somehow, and I would be in line to the pearly gates, right? And St. Peter would be at the front gate checking checking names off, right? And it'd be like, okay, Peyton, you're up. You made it. Yes. Got in. Okay. Now here's your robe because you gotta wear a robe in heaven, right? Everybody's gonna wear, I don't wanna wear a robe. Sorry, it's mandatory, gotta wear a robe. Oh, and uh, here's your harp. You gotta play a harp in heaven. I don't want, I'd never play, I'm not good at instrument, gotta play a harp. So now I'm stuck with a robe and a harp and I sit on my cloud and I play my harp for all eternity. And Everybody's like, okay, but listen, your relatives are gonna be there. And I'm like, I don't wanna see some of my relatives for all eternity. And I don't mean that in a mean way. I just, I know my grandma's going to be there and she's going to be like, pick the harp. You should have picked the piano. I I told you and put your hair down. It's all over the place. And that's going to be my eternity. That's it. 10,000 years of that. And I didn't want to get there. Yeah, we have a lot of misconceptions. Why do people think that heaven is so boring? Probably because a lot of people think God is boring. Now, nobody would actually admit that, right? But man, doesn't God just, doesn't he just kill our joy all the time? Like every time I want to do something fun, I want to live for life, I want to do what I want, God seems to have some kind of rule that just shuts it down. But I'm here to tell you, heaven is the opposite of boredom. It's the opposite of everything that's bad. It's the absence of evil. It's the presence of God. I want you to think about this for a moment. Everything that you enjoy in this life is a free gift given from God. Now, I know I've talked about this before, but let's just flush it out a little bit more. I want you to imagine in your mind your favorite food to eat. Maybe it's your favorite place in town. If you could have it, right? I, I know I'm a playing a dangerous game talking about food in a sermon. I know I'm holding you back, but imagine your favorite food handed to you right now. Mine is a Casey's burger, deluxe cheeseburger, Cajun fries, a sweet tea. I could, my mouth is literally watering right now thinking about that burger. You only enjoy that food because of the taste buds that God gifted you with. A completely free gift. You did nothing to earn that. It was a gift given to you. Now imagine with the free version how much you get. What is God going to give you in the premium version? How much more will God gift you if the free gift was something as amazing as tasting? And if you don't know how bad tasting is, let me tell you You guys, does anybody in here remember COVID? Anybody remember that? It happened a couple of years ago. It was a big thing. Maybe they missed it. I want to talk about some of the minor cases of COVID, right? I'm not talking about major cases. I want to talk about minor cases. Does anybody remember the worst symptom for minor cases of COVID? There it is. The loss of smell and taste. I'm convinced it is straight from the devil. I, I, Darian and I, we both got COVID whenever uh, Arlo was born, right? He was born in our house. We were shut down for a few weeks. Thank God for this, this church, right? You cared for us. We counted on you. And there was a, just a mountain, two weeks of homemade food delivered straight to our doorstep. And it was delicious, I think. And I tell you, I think because i couldn't taste a single thing for two weeks homemade food i did a confession a couple weeks ago i'm gonna do it again right here missy you made my favorite dessert banana pudding <laughs> didn't taste the thing i had the i was literally tears into my banana pudding because i wanted to taste it so bad and i so if you want to make up for that just give me a call and we can, <laughs> we, can we can make up for lost times Yeah, I I literally went to the internet to try to jumpstart my taste buds and the internet's the worst place to go for that. They gave me this trick. There was this trick going around. You take an orange and you char it like black. Just all of it is just black and burnt. You crack it open and you take a bite and just your taste buds come magically back. I'm here to tell you it didn't work. (laughs) Everything that you enjoy everything, it comes from God. Your taste buds, your ability to enjoy sight, oceans, mountains. How many ocean people are here? Raise your hand. How many mountain people? Okay. You only enjoy those things. One, because God gave you those things to enjoy. And two, he gave you the eyes to see them and the ability to experience joy itself. Laughter, freedom, All of these things are freely given. And in heaven, we will enjoy everything we enjoy here. But it will be no more sin, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. It will be the absence of everything evil and bad. It will be the presence of God that we will be with. Heaven is the opposite of boring. You live for this life. Imagine what life will be like for the place God is preparing So what do we know about heaven? We know a few things. We know that we'll know one another. We will love and be loved. You will know and be known. You will love and be loved. For those of you who lost a loved one who was in Christ, those who lost a child, who had a tragedy, who lost a spouse, who lost a relative, who lost a friend, you'll be reunited with the people that you love. And yet there'll be no more heartache. There'll be no more rejection. No more pain, because in heaven there is only love. It's the thing that withstands over faith and hope. Love is the thing that lasts, and you'll enjoy it in its fullest. Heaven will be a place of unimaginable beauty. Revelation 21 15 through 21, you can read there about what John describes as this new Jerusalem. And we'll talk a little bit about that here in a second. But it's this new reality coming down from heaven and resting on God's creation. And we've already talked about it. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Which implies there's going to be, I don't know, new colors, new sensations, new excitement. If you can't imagine it, then try to imagine it. Try to imagine the beauty that God has already given us. And what will it be like? In heaven, you will come face to face with Jesus himself. Now, the reason there were no cheers there and our mouths aren't like dropped to the ground is because we don't realize the full implications of that. You see, in the Old Testament, nobody was able to come face to face with God, the creator, and live. <laughs> like Moses at one point was like, hey, God, can I see your glory? God's like, oh, Moses, you can't handle my glory. I'll pass by and that will have to be good enough. Right? We're talking about the creator of the sun and the universe that the sun lives in. And you will get to come face to face with that being. Think about it you know, in the Old Testament, the New Testament, that they would literally tie a rope to the high priest's ankle. And here's why they did it. It's because once a year, the high priest would go into what's called the Holy of Holies. It's like inside, inside, inside the temple, right? God's house. And once a year, they might be able to come in the presence of God. But if they did, (laughs) out skis. <laughs> and they would have to pull that person out with that rope attached to their ankle i mean we're talking about the creator of all things that no man has ever come face to face with and lived and you will come face to face with jesus and realize that you never truly lived before that moment that's what heaven will be like last one you will have a new and perfect body which I know someone in here needs to say amen to that. Amen. Revelation 21.3, look what it said. It said, behold, I am making all things new. Now we're going to talk about what that means for creation, but just let it sit with you for a second. When was the last time you received something new? Maybe it was a phone. Maybe it was a house. Maybe it was a child. Maybe it was a job. Think about that moment, the excitement, the fascination, the way you protected that thing that you loved and you cared about. Not many of us remember what it was like when our body was in tip-top shape, right? It's usually about that time we're not thinking about those things. And then we spend the rest of our lives wishing our body was in tip-top shape like it used to be. But it will be made new. Tracy, one day your back will no longer be in pain. Share your migraines will no longer exist. Sandy, you won't be cold anymore. You just, it won't, it won't happen. (laughs) Heaven is the absence of everything bad, everything painful, everything evil. It's the presence of everything good and holy. We sang about this, Revelation 21, 24 through 25. Look in your Bible real quick. Look what it says. It says, By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day. And look at this, pay attention. And there will be no night there. It doesn't exist. In heaven, there will be no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sickness no more fear, no more stress, no more depression, no more sleepless nights, no more anxiety, no more abuse, no more heartache, no more divorce, no more racism, no more injustice, no more violence. You won't have to go to the bathroom at 3 a.m. in the morning in heaven and stumble your way there and hit your knee. There'll be no more middle of the nights, no more bad breath, no more Mondays. Ladies, no more time of the month, amen? There'll be no more. It'll be gone. All of the glory of heaven will be cast down, will be sitting on top of God's creation forevermore. Men and women will experience the full presence of God's goodness. Whatever you can imagine about heaven, it's going to be better. It's going to be better. It's going to be better than any good thing that you experience on this earth. Boring? No, heaven's the opposite of boring. It's the absence of evil. It's the presence of God. Let's talk about lie number two. This one, we have to work through a little bit. Let's take our time. Lie number two, ditch the earth, focus on heaven. You see, where Satan whispers to non-believers to think heaven is boring, he equally whispers to believers that the earth is worth leaving to burn. Just ditch it, burn, get out of here. But John's vision in Revelation 21 and 22, is far grander and more restorative. If you look, John describes seeing all the nations there. They're working, they're cultivating this garden like Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, right? And John's vision is that one day humanity will be restored to co-rulers over God's creation. Well, if humanity is going to be ruling with God over creation, what needs to be there? creation the thing that god made in the beginning and he said this thing is good we're not talking about a casting us away to some far off land heaven is a stepping forward into a new jerusalem that is brought to us if you look at the beginning of 21 john starts this heavenly vision by describing new creation as a bride a marriage between heaven and earth, these two realities interlocked and brought together, like Eden was in the beginning, like Jacob in the stairwell to heaven was. We've seen this imagery throughout, and he uses this language, the new Jerusalem. Why that language? Why Jerusalem? Why new? What it, it's actually extremely symbolic language matters. Jerusalem itself is an extremely powerful image for John. Why? What is Jerusalem? Well, it's the first and the only city where God resided in a permanent holy house. This is God's house. This is his temple. This is his place. It's the first city where kings worship the true creator. It's Jerusalem. Here it is. Jerusalem is at the heart of the Israelites' promised land. In fact, Jerusalem itself is the ultimate promised land. I mean, this is the place, but the old Jerusalem was corrupted. It was dishonored by most of Israel's kings. And the same is true if we take a step back. The same is true for the rest of the world, too. I haven't met anybody who has said in its entirety that the world is what it's supposed to be that it's perfect, that it's how we want it. And the reality is that we are both victims and culprits of the depravity that exists here. So if the old isn't working, we need something new, a new world, a new Jerusalem that's not built by human hands, but that God puts together. And if you pay attention to Revelation 22, you'll notice there is no new temple in this new creation. Why? Why don't we need a temple in this new creation? Because God's presence no longer needs to sit in a house. It's now going to be spread, and the holy of holies will be throughout all creation. Whew! Okay. Some of you are sitting here thinking, listen, Peyton, that was poetic. That was abstract. It sounds great. But what? <laughs> what are you saying? I don't know if I've grasped you yet. Like I asked the question, what's going to happen to me after I die? And you've, I feel like you haven't answered that yet. So let me just shoot straight with you. People like whenever I shoot straight, cut off all of the fluff. So here we go. I haven't given you an answer to that question because it's the wrong question to ask. Where do I go after I die? Because here's the thing. No passage in your Bible in the original language has the phrase going to heaven when it comes to after you die. That idea, that phrase doesn't exist anywhere in the Bible. That phrase go to heaven doesn't appear in all the Old Testament. It doesn't appear in all the New Testament when it comes to death. So if the Bible doesn't talk about that, what do we do? Now, I'm not saying that the Bible doesn't address what happens to God's people after they die. Bible has a lot to say about that, but the idea of going to is not in the biblical author's mindset. Escapism is the lie. Let me say it again. Escapism is a lie. We cannot take our eyes off of here to focus about what will happen then, because what happens then is a renewed version of what is happening here. And we are contributing to that restoration. I mean, Jesus, whenever the disciples asked, what prayer should we pray? If we're gonna just send something on repeat for the rest of our lives, what should it be? And he gave them the Lord's prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when Jesus returned from the grave, he was like he was before. I mean, he was different, but he was the same. It's like this weird hybrid mode of Jesus, right? He could eat and drink and smile and laugh and be with people. They recognized him, but then he was also transcendent. Now, pause. The point here is for us not to know. The point here is not our point. Our purpose is not to know everything that's going to happen in new creation. That's not the purpose of the sermon. It's not the purpose of revelation. It's like trying to explain what a hamburger like is for an unborn child. That child has no idea. If they could rationalize, there's no way you could explain a cheeseburger to an unborn child. They have no conception. They just have to experience it. And one day you'll just have to experience it to fully know what it's like. So what is our task? What is the task of the sermon? What's the task for humanity? It's very simple to set our eyes on the restoration task. That's our responsibility. We are workers in the garden today, not later, today. We are tilling the soil. We are pruning the vines today in the hopes that one day all of creation will be like the garden of Eden again. It will blanket all of creation. But until that day comes, we don't set our eyes here and leave here. We lock in. We lock into the creation and we await when all of it will be renewed just like us. That was lie number two. Let's talk about lie number three and we'll finish out here. Lie number three is that most people are going to heaven anyway. All around the world today, many people wrongly believe that most people will get to heaven. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter how I live. It doesn't matter what I believe. I'm, if I'm a good person, I'm gonna make it, right? Because good people go to heaven, right? I mean, I'm a good person, I feel like. I'm a good husband. I haven't killed anybody. And if I did, they probably deserved it. I'm not a drug dealer. I haven't abused anybody. I'm not a bad person. Heaven has to be my default destination, right? No. No. We have to pay attention to what Jesus says. We have to take it extremely seriously. He says, broad is the road and wide is the path that leads to destruction. And narrow is the road and small is the gate that leads to life. And few people are on that road the truth is good people don't go to heaven. So who does? Forgiven people go to heaven when they die. Forgiven people. Forgiven by the grace of Jesus. Now, I want you to feel the power of God's word today. I want you to open your mind and your heart to allow it to stir you and to shake you. And so I'm going to ask everybody to stand up with me right now. And we're going to, we're going to close out talking about Romans chapter three, chapter three, verses 23 through 25. And every once in a while, I'm going to, I'm going to get some participation here. But the question is, how do we get to heaven? Who are these people? Well, we need to figure out who's at risk here, who has sinned. So everybody has sinned and is far away from God's saving presence. Does that include me? Yeah, does that include you? Absolutely. Absolutely. All have sinned. All fall short of God's glorious standard for everybody has sinned. We are not good people. How many of you have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. you told a lie. Raise your hand. Okay. If someone around you is not raising their hand, put them up, put them up. If someone around you is not raising their hand, I want you to turn to them and say, liar, liar, pants on fire. Go ahead. Yeah. Everybody has told a lie. Put your hands down. Perfect. Okay. Now let's get personal. How many of you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. How many of you, you believe you know God? You know, Jesus, that you are confident that you have been forgiven, Bought with the blood of Jesus, you have been baptized and your, your sins have been washed away by his blood. And you can confidently say, yes, I have been forgiven. Put your hands up, put them up high, put them up. Okay, keep them up, please. If you do not have your hand up right now, it is okay. It is okay. This is not a time of intimidation. This is a time of encouragement. Because in this room with our hands up is a room full of witnesses. We have witnessed what God has done in the world. We have witnessed what Jesus' saving grace has done in our life. And we are ready to sit, to talk, to tell you about what Jesus has done in our life so that he can do something more in your life. You have witnesses around you. Put your hands down. If you ever truly understand the holiness of God, you become acutely aware of the sinfulness of mankind. We are not good. We fall short of God's standards. Everybody has sinned and is far away from God's saving presence. But, everybody say but, but, but by the free gift of God's grace. By what? By, the free, by, by what I do? No, not by what I do. By how good I am? No, not by by my religion, what I believe. No, not by that either. By the free gift of God's grace, we are all put right with him through Christ Jesus. It is he who sets them free. God offered him so that by his blood, we should become the means by which people's sins are forgiven through their faith in him not in what they believe, not in a tradition, not in a church, their faith is in him. God did this in order to demonstrate that he is righteous. In the past, we, he was patient and overlooked people's sins, but in the present time, he deals with their sins in order to demonstrate his righteousness. The book of Revelation. It's a book that is confusing to many. It is scary to some. And I hope that this series has helped untangle you from either conspiracy or uneasiness when it comes to this book, because it is a book of hope. But I'm going to leave you with one phrase. I gave it to you in Sermon 1 of this series, and I'm going to give it to you in Sermon 8 of this series. It is the entire book of Revelation summed up in one simple phrase. Are you ready? Here it is. No matter what happens, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what you're going through, no matter the decisions you've made, no matter who you are or what you think you are in God's eyes, your phrase is keep your eyes on Jesus. That's the book of Revelation. This world is going to come at you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. You are going to feel some things in your heart that you shouldn't be feeling. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Satan is going to whisper some things in your life. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Death is going to knock on your doorstep and it's going to knock louder than you wish you ever heard. Keep your eyes locked on Jesus. The world is going to pull you in ways that any way it can get you. It's going to buy your soul. Keep your eyes on Jesus. It's going to try to get you to compromise. It's going to corrupt you from the inside out. It will start with political powers. It will go down to barber chairs if you were here a couple of weeks. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And whatever you do, keep your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you that even right now you are working. Holy Spirit, stir within us. Help us to understand that this this world is a dark place and it needs restoration. But this world is only a reflection of the darkness that's in my own heart. God, help us recognize that, help us recognize that we what we see now, these things in front of us, they, they don't last. Help us live for what will last forever. Move us, God, shake us. Give us a heart that breaks for what breaks your heart. Give us a heart that leaps for joy, God, for the things that, le- that you leap for joy. God, give us eyes to see the people in need that you have called us to meet those needs. Give us your love. Give us your urgency in our life to do what you have created us to do. Created by God for God's glory to dwell with him forever. Give us that urgency. And God, more, more than anything, help us keep our eyes. Locked on Jesus. And the body of Christ, God's church, said, Amen.